0: This and all other ad-free content is being brought to you ad-free by Digital Market Battles, the only marketing agency that will fill your company's pipeline with high-valued leads. They will meet your conversion goals no matter what. Just go to www.digitalmarketbattles.com to get your discovery call done today. I am the mouth of the South, John Schiavone, and we have a very very, very special edition of Downtown Sports to bring to you today and to let you know exactly what it is, what it's about, and who we're talking to. I'm going to hand it off to the Beast of the East, Jonathan Periente. Beast, take it away.
1: Thank you, Mel. Well, not too long ago, you listened to one of our previous shows, we had our first wrestler on the show. We had someone that had wrestled on the Independence, a guy by the name of Homicide. And today we... We went a little step further. We brought another wrestler in here, someone that's also been wrestling for well over 20 years on the independence, wrestling professionally on Lucha Underground, AEW Impact Wrestling, also for Ring of Honor and the AAA promotion in Mexico. We are pleased to welcome a high-flying extraordinaire, one of the best in the high-flying business, and over 20 years in this business. We are pleased to welcome multiple-time tag team champion for AAA, for Ring of Honor, and a trios champion in lucha underground the great jack evans who joins us here today on downtown sports jack it's a pleasure to have you thank you so much for taking some time to join us it's a pleasure to be here thank you all for having me well jack let's dive into uh talking about lucha and this is a real uh this was the real industry i think that you really made a name this is where we got to know who jack evans was lucha underground which was a promotion that lasted for a few years. Uh, it eventually did in Boyle Heights, California. And that was really where we got to see Jack Evans, the, the man behind these great high-flying, the 630 splash. And we got to see some of your great and many high-flying matches throughout Lucha Underground. Talk about your experience in that promotion for the in those years and what it was like in that promotion under Dario Cueto and wrestling with the likes of Pentagon, Helico, just to name a few
2: i can't say enough good things about dario quato i absolutely love the guy uh man i can't remember his real name now but it's one of those weird things where like the actors and stuff when the, obviously they're on set and everything they would call each other by their normal names but in wrestling a lot of times you don't do that So, mm-hmm. like anywhere i saw him like he was always dario to me so but i can't say enough good things about that guy and uh just uh, he played such an amazing role in Lucha Underground. But the Lucha Underground experience as a whole was great, especially the first couple of years. Uh, really tight knit uh, locker room. Everyone was getting along. Like we'd hang out at the hotel together, like huge family atmosphere. And it kind of started to fall apart. And I've said this in other podcasts, but not really because people started to argue, but there, there started to be a lot of problems with the office because Hollywood contracts and wrestling just didn't work because in in Hollywood and wrestling, things are set in stone a little bit more on, you know, November 25th, you have a booking and unless the show gets canceled, like that's what it is. But with the Hollywood uh, way, they tape, they might switch that to a couple months later. So, it would mess people up because they wouldn't be accepting bookings during this long period of time. And then all of a sudden you'd get this call and be like, Oh, actually with delayed tapings. So, you know what I mean? Uh, So Lucha Underground was great, but it kind of fell apart uh, because of the contracts, just because the the scheduling wasn't set in stone. And so sometimes you'd go, there was one time we went uh, like nearly a year and a half in between tapings. So like, It'd be stop and go like, okay, from October to December, you can't take any bookings because we're going be, to be taping. And all of a sudden they'd cancel that and they'd push it back like three months or something. So Lucha Underground really it, it, it was it, – it failed. In, uh, I hate to use that word failure about it because I love it so much. But it failed more because of like logistics and stuff than it did actually like – Yeah, I don't think there was like a super amount of internal strife. Mm -hmm. There was no like CM Punk situation, AEW, like not to call that up. There was nothing like that. It was really just Hollywood and wrestling schedules were so hard to mix, like especially independent wrestling. So that's really what happened with underground, if to me, is that. Logistically, things started to not work out. It lowered locker room morale, and yada yada yada. You know what I mean? It Mm -hmm. just snowballed from there.
0: I mean, you brought up AEW, so let's go to AEW. Basically, we know you chose not to resign with them. Um, for Uh, whatever
2: happened, people both like uh, act like that. It makes it sound like I was unhappy with AEW. No, that's what I was saying. Like, I, I mean, look. It was the opposite. They chose not to re-sign me, and but it's one of those things. Again, it wasn't like oh, I had this bad locker room attitude or anything. Mm-hmm. But like I, I just got lazy and I wasn't producing. I wasn't doing having really good matches. Uh, I got pretty out of shape, and I wasn't able to do like if you book Jack Evans, you're looking for high flying, and like yeah. I got to the point where like I couldn't even do that on one of my high flying moves. I I hurt this guy ten. And, like, not super bad, was injured and couldn't wrestle, but left a little permanent scar on his face and everything. And you can only have a couple of those incidents before. They're like, well, you better not do that stuff anymore. Now you can't be hurting, guys. AEW chose not to re me, but I, I fully understand why they chose that. It really was <laughs> my fault. I just kind of fell off. Although, I
0: have a question How does it feel? For you to understand that the fan base thinks that it's you that turned them down, looking for other offers, how does that feel towards your ego a little bit?
2: Yeah, well, no, that makes me happy. You know what I mean. I should probably go with it. Like, yeah, just yeah. Uh, I was like uh, AEW, I don't need you, and I left. But no, that's how, I loved AEW. I really had a lot of fun working there. Tony was a great boss, and like the locker room was great. Uh, I I, course, I was there before a lot of the drama that I hear happening now. Uh, but it, it really just was one of those things where like they had such a huge roster. I wasn't producing. And so I, I kind of got uh cut. Well, I got not re-signed. They didn't fire me. Like but when my contract ran out, they didn't re-sign me. Mm-hmm.
1: Talk about so many, you know, you, you brought up so many of these fighting for AEW wrestling for Lucha Underground. There were so many different talents that you've wrestled over these 20 years in the business. And, if you had to kind of go back in time and talk about some of your most favorite matches from those years in AEW and Lucha, you face the likes of Pentagon, you face the likes of Fan, B- <coughs> you face the likes of
2: Johnny Mundo, perhaps, wrestling alongside him. I got to wrestle against a lot of people, and a lot of them I'm happy with. Like one of my favorite matches is a lesser known one because it was actually a Lucha Underground YouTube exclusive. It mm. wasn't actually on the uh the show but was against phoenix and then so like wrestling the phoenix the ricochet well he's prince puma uh and pentagon and all that like it, it has i have not truly blessed but then on the flip side there's been a couple of regrets like with Pinta, i had a match and we wrestled each other so much in mexico that we decided to do this big inside like joke Uh, well i've been saying all these like uh they they call them dichos de naco like these like Mm -hmm. like like low class phrases i don't know how to explain it but the thing is so so we had this joke match kind of but i'm yelling it out to the crowd in spanish and it's an english-speaking crowd most of them didn't understand what it was so like there's some regrets i have like my lucha match or my match at aew with pentagon i was like Man, I completely wasted that on inside jokes between me and Pentagon that, like, most of the crowd, even in Mexico, wouldn't understand, let alone in, in Jacksonville, Florida. Oh, so, wow. like, I, I'm very happy I got to wrestle some of those guys, but I actually have some regrets. Like, it was like, man, that Pinta match, especially because at this at the time I wrestled Pinta, I, I could kind of figure out, like, man, I haven't had, a, uh, I had a series of bad matches. Like I need this one to be good with Penta. Da, 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 da. So I should have used that opportunity completely differently than I did. But even with that said, like, yeah, I've got to wrestle some of the best talent in the world. And I'm really happy about that. Um. So. Although me and Johnny Mundo, my favorite match mm-hmm. with him, wasn't actually when we were teaming in Lucha Underground or anything. It's when we faced each other in, uh, England recently, or maybe not recently, like four months ago, or something like that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, that I, I actually think I liked wrestling against Johnny Mundo better than I liked wrestling with him.
0: Oh wow! So, um, now uh, another question. Another question. You said you had the the Pentagon the Pentagon match was a regret of yours. What was the biggest regret you ever had in pro wrestling?
2: For sure, the Kenny Omega match. For sure. Well, I mean, there may be if I like went back there's probably something crappy i did to someone in the locker room even on accident but actually i don't usually do bad things people so yeah no i'd say my kenny omega match i just i was still out of shape for it like kenny wanted to have a killer match like he was totally up for it. like he actually requested that we have it and i just wasn't uh, the fans actually still really liked it but it should have been this If we would have, if I could have executed everything properly and we didn't have to cut all the stuff because I got so blown up, it would have been, I think, like a career defining match. And it just absolutely wasn't. It was just like a good match. And that was 100% my fault. Hmm.
1: Let's talk about speaking of those uh, career defining matches. You've also had matches in for TNA Impact Wrestling. You've wrestled for Ring of Honor, uh, Dragon Gate in Japan. So you have wrestled possibly the likes of Samoa Joe, Brian Danielson down that stretch, Okada in Japan. Talk about those matches and what they brought out of you when you first were kind of coming up and elevating you to the level that you are now.
0: Also, I heard you and Joe what? had some beef in 03. Talk about that one, too. Well, we had what? I heard that you and Joe had some beef in 03. At least that's what the internet... This is basically going to be dispelling non-truths.
2: But- really? Because I got wrapped up in a Ted Hart situation where we lost this cage match. And after the match, he goes and he's doing all these moonsaults. Like, everyone else has left. We're, like, the last ones in the ring. Yeah. And actually, I left the ring, too. Uh, and I was just waiting for him. And he's doing backflips off of the top of the cage into the ring and, so, and like, really going into business for himself style. So I actually enter the ring, and, like, there used to be footage of it. I don't know if it, it, it's, like, lost to time or whatever. But you can see, I try to, like, grab him by the hand and pull him out. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing? But he got such heat that the Carnage crew came out. And God look. and he And they whipped the hell out of me with a belt. And they whipped the what? hell out of Ted with the belt. And I was like, I did not deserve that. I did not do anything. And then I get in the back. And there's Jim Cornette pissed as hell. There's oh my Samoa god, Joe pissed oh. as hell. This is one time, maybe the only time I would have rather gotten Jim Cornette than Samoa Joe, because Jim Cornette sitting there yelling at Ted or whatever. But it's still, I don't want to say civil. He was definitely pissed, but you know, like yeah. it's civil on some level. Samoa Jim Joe. Jim Cornette was civil. Huh? I can't believe he was. Jim ever Cornette civil. was civil. No, no, no. Civil's not the right word because he's oh, yeah. yelling at part four. But like, I, I, he was yelling at him like Jim Cornette or whatever. Joe was talking about beating my ass and everything, and then I was like, "Damn, like this sucks, but I can't back down. Like I have to stand my ground." So yeah. after that, I'm trying to talk shit back to Joe, <laughs> and but so I'm like, "No, I don't do shit. You know, I don't fucking deserve this. You want to fucking go? Let's go." And I'm sorry for cussing. But, like, in all honesty, like, I'm playing a character. Like, I know like, – like, I'm just trying to puff out my chest. Like, I know if things go down, like, Joe's going to beat the shite out of me. So – but Joe eventually, like, calms down and everything's fine. And then afterwards, when, like, everything was explained, he actually was, like – kind of, I don't know if I would say Paul, but he was, like, kind of sorry. He's, like, oh, okay, you didn't do it. This was all Ted. You were actually trying to do the thing. So we had beef for just a second. But it like wasn't a real beef. It was me basically yeah. like not backing down and to, not to look like a coward, but hoping to God that nothing actually went down. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. No, <laughs> I've done that a few times in my life. Like you know, you're staring down somebody that you know is just gonna kick the living crap out of you. Yeah, but you, you,
2: you know that you gotta sit there <laughs> and stand your ground. So you you yeah. play that character. You know what I mean? Like you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, exactly. And that was just a more Joe incident. I was like. If things go down, I'm freaking done, but I I have to like, you know what I mean? I have to put on the show at least or whatever, you know what I mean? And afterwards though, me and Samoa Joe are actually pretty good friends. Like we totally get along and everything, but it was just kind of a misunderstanding because he assumed I was part of this whole, like going into business for yourself and everything. And I absolutely wasn't. When we lost, I left the ring. The only reason I entered the ring again was to try to get Ted out and, like, that was it. So. Then, uh, ROH, actually, they understood what happened. They ended up bringing me back and not Ted. So, nice. like, everything got squashed o- over that. So, I mean, there was, like, a little two minutes of beef with Samoa Joe, but it wasn't, like, a real thing, like, where, you know, we wouldn't have any actual problems. It was a legit misunderstanding.
0: So I want to now I know I asked you uh, we spoke about this in person, but I'm going to ask you for the podcast, too, because, you know, I think the audience needs to know this, Um, but I'm going to frame the question differently. okay? Which is worse? Tell me this. Which would be worse? A working for Jim Cornette, B working for Vince Russo, C working for Eric Bischoff, D working for Dixie Carter or E, working for all of them combined with Hulk Hogan in the same room?
2: (laughs) Oh, man. I don't want to gossip, but I was in the TNA locker room when option E was chosen, and it was the lowest locker room morale I had ever seen in my life. And you know what? The weird thing is, we don't get along now because we yell at each other on the internet, but I've worked for Jim Cornette before, and it's not bad, actually. Like, uh, I I know, like now he's kind of in permanent. Man, I, let me turn on a light. And I feel like I'm too dark. I know now he's kind of like in permanent, like grumpy mode. I don't know what you want to call it. Yeah. But like when I worked with Jim Cornette, it, like it, it was totally fine. You know what I mean? You just didn't want to piss him off. When he got pissed, then you got to see that side. Mm. So like I kind of feel like he he plays up like, that aspect of his personality for his podcast and everything, because he does have this other side that's just, like, cool, you know what I mean? Like, so, uh, right now, since we've had so many, like, in little stupid Twitter fights and everything, I wouldn't want to work for Jim Cornette, but in the past, it was actually totally fine working for him. Like, I, I know he is heat, like, he slapped some dude for something or something, but, like, it, it was actually fine working for him back in the day. And, uh, as for everyone else, um, I don't think I want to work for Eric Bischoff just simply because, like, Eric, <laughs> Eric mm-hmm. Bischoff doesn't like me. Oh, Are we allowed to have – Why doesn't Eric
1: sense? Bischoff like you? God, Eric Bischoff is so well-respected in this business. No, he's not respected. Well, oh, <laughs> he's <on>. he's respected. <laughs> to some, degree.
2: some I, degree. I don't have any problem with everything, but he's, he's got a noir personalities. He's, like, the stereotypical businessman style, you know what I mean? And I'm not. So, like, we, we just don't get along, not because there's any problems, but just because, like, like he's always serious business. I'm always goofing around like that. Mm-hmm. And then uh, also, are, are we allowed to, like, kind of mention a little bit of weed references on the show?
0: Yeah, go ahead. you good.
2: <laughs> okay. The, uh, when we were taping in Jacksonville, uh, there were, like, different parts because of, of, like, the locker rooms, they're all divided. There was what I called the Palisades, which is like frankie kazarian christopher daniels uh like they, they had their own uh like bean bags and cappuccino maker and everything because we were tapering Jackson wow so they, <laughs> they did their locker room up then there was a frat house which was like most of the wrestlers and that was just a wild place oh wow it looks so nice wow but then actually outside of the gate like even outside of security there were trailers that were meant to be for like the extras and the developmental talents and everything, but me, Phoenix, Pentagon, and Helico and Jack Swagger, uh, or the uh, Strong, yeah. Sorry, I, I mentioned WBA. But, Shouts
0: to him, by uh, the way. I haven't I haven't seen that guy in a long time.
2: Jake Hager's done well in AEW. He's just, yeah, no, he's and a super good guy. I love him to death. But we took over one of them and we called it the Trailer Park, and then so. uh, and so, like, that was just our spot, and it's outside of security, so you can get away with doing a lot of things that you couldn't if you're on the other side of the security game. Mm-hmm. So, like, e- even what the frat houses, I would call it, where most of the wrestlers, like, they, they, have certain things they couldn't do that we could do, and one of them was hot boxing the, the, the trailers. Wow. So, there was no time... I Went in the trailer. I saw that there was, and Phoenix was like always my roommate, basically. Like, uh, mm-hmm. in, like because how the trailers were divided in two sides like, you take one side, uh, someone else take another, and then a door down, there'd be another two. And then, so like, it was always me and Phoenix that were the uh, like roommates in the trailer park, and so I just Saw a bag in there, or actually a suitcase in there, and I just assumed it was Phoenix, and I hot boxed the hell out of that trailer. And then all of a sudden, who came sauntering in? But Eric Bischoff. Oh my <laughs> God. And then, oh man, it's just filled to the brim with smoke. There's no way to hide it. There's no real no way to air it out. None of that. So he had to sit there and change in this hot box trailer. And like I was, he's so probably thinking
0: back and having like you know flashback and nightmares of kevin nash <laughs> my god
2: man, yeah, something i don't know but i was so embarrassed that uh i quickly got dressed and i just spent the day in my gear and i didn't even go back because i was like dang he must be so irritated right now like it's like let but me he, not you know, be
0: around him for him to fire oh, me
2: <laughs> eric Bischoff always had his moments he always had his so moments. but uh but yeah i've never actually had any problems with eric Bischoff. we just have such conflicting personalities Like I wouldn't want to work for him because I think he'd fire me pretty quick for boxing trailers and stuff.
0: Yeah, that'd probably be it. But no, but that's a that's a hilarious error. My God, what was his face the entire? Did he say a word to you that entire time?
2: Uh, Just hijack, but with the the worst frown you've ever seen. Like I like I I can't. it, it, It was a frown, not of sadness, but of like anger and disappointment, like this. Like or disgust, almost like. uh, And I was just like, "Oh God, on everyone, how does it have to be him?" But I just assumed it was Phoenix because we're always roommates. Like this, that's how it was. So, yeah, no, I hotboxed Eric Bischoff, but he didn't move or anything. He stayed in there. So I have a theory: he secretly enjoyed it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, he probably did. I mean, let's bring up, let's bring up, uh, bringing up Phoenix and Pentagon, all these high-flying wrestlers, and one of the signature moves you have is the 630 splash. It's a. Yeah. It's so different from a 450 splash or from any other big corkscrew high-flying move that any high-flyer does. Talk about the difference between doing a 630 to doing a 450, and is it harder to do than people think than, than it is from a 450 splash?
2: <laughs> yes and no. Um, once you have a really good 450 that you can open up early, uh you could do the 630 so it is just repetitious practice and it doesn't require like a whole other skill set you just got to keep yourself tucked instead of opening up so in some ways it's easier than people think but then the hardest thing is uh especially the first time you have to do it is actually mentally getting yourself to keep that tuck and not open up is so hard because like Your body just doesn't want to do it because when you're traveling over your head again like that, like it just feels weird. So the hardest thing about the 630 after you like physically have like a good enough 450 is it becomes all mental. And you just making sure you keep that tuck is actually super hard because like I said, you just naturally your body, and your mind doesn't want to do it. So no matter how much you convince yourself, like you just almost instinctually open up. So like just getting that last turn is mentally tough, but then after you do it a couple times, you can do it on call. Beautiful.
1: So who inspired you? And then going back to when you first broke into the business, who was your inspiration to inspire you to be in, in the ring? What, what got you into wrestling? Who was the one wrestler that you looked up to and said, I'm going to do this one day.
2: Well, uh, in some ways, I would say Hayabusa, Mr. Perfect, and Blitzkrieg, but the actual guy that inspired me more so than anyone else and made me think I could be a wrestler was One Two Three Kid X Pac when he beat Razor Ramon back in the day. Mm. Because even though actually after I met him, he's not a small guy. He's like six foot six one or something. I don't know how tall, but mm-hmm. when, when he was compa- in, in comparison to like Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. He looked really small. So, in my mind, 123Kid was like my size. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, like, I wanted to be a professional wrestler, but of course, especially back then, I was like, oh, no, you're too small. That's for big people. That's for big people. So, when 123Kid beat Razor Ramon with the moonsault on Raw, that was like the go to. That was like, I can do this. I can do this. So, nice. yeah, the, the, the inspiration, the catalyst is actually 123Kid, uh, wow. Sean Walman, X you said you got to live with.
0: You know what? You said you said a word that is very important that I was actually gonna get into next. Um catalyst. Yeah. Catalyst oh, yeah, wrestling. Um the promotion where we met. Um how did you get involved with catalyst and Matt Ryan and Brendan and that whole crew?
2: Well, Lee Mandin, one of the people that uh helps promote and he does like uh all, all the promos, whatever I guess. Producer, I don't know what his actual title is. I've known him for man, I guess twenty years now. Like since that Samoa Joe it way back in the day, I've known him forever. I used to stay at his house when I'm uh, I was from Washington, but there was like nothing in Washington back in the day on the Indies. You you basically had to be on the East Coast to really make a name for yourself. And so when I moved out east to try to you know hit up all these Indies or anything, I like we were road dogs together like. uh and then, like, we even lived in Canada for a little while together. Like, I just I've known him like super close forever. So, he's actually the one that got me in, and then he introduced me like Brendan and Matt and everybody. But, uh, yeah, he was the catalyst for me joining Catalyst.
0: Definitely. How much,
1: how much has the world of wrestling from when you began in this business in 2000 and now here we are in 2022? wrestling as a whole has really evolved over these 20 years what's been the biggest change you've seen in the product from when you began to where you are right now
2: uh one of the biggest things is the average level of talent on the indies is before you kind of had a couple standouts like like the east coast had more because there's just so many promotions and everything going on but generally and like not even just every promotion just every area you had a couple standouts, a couple mediocre guys, and honestly, the rest were kind of crappy, but now, when you go on the indies, you can go anywhere, and, like, every promotion has a couple guys that are standouts that could do anything, like, the, so the average level of uh, talent or, like, or ability or whatever on the indies has just skyrocketed super high, like, now, anywhere you go, yeah, like, you're gonna be able to find someone that, like, can just go lower like multiple people you know what i mean like i always mention like oh man i forgot was it like i think it was i saw like this jay malachi i don't even think a lot of people have heard of him absolutely awesome then you got freaking hunter drake and his cousin or whatever jd drake i don't know i can't remember his name now but like or then out on the East Coast, they got a million guys out West, you know, like just anywhere you go, there's all these really great wrestlers. And before, like I said, every area had a couple standouts only basically. So the average level of talent has, has gone way up. And then also, um, I want to say territories are quite back, but almost, because now with like streaming and just YouTube and everything, Indie wrestling is much stronger than it used to be. So, like, uh, it it almost feels, like I said, like territories are back because, like, before, like I said, like, even in California, like, all you really had was PWG and a couple little indies. Like, when I was there, like, you had to be in the Northeast. That was the only place that consistently had a lot of indie wrestling promotions running, that had a lot of really, like, high-level good guys Mm-hmm. And like, so that's why, you know, our weights were from there, JEPW, like all those. But now, like, uh, and they were the only ones that would really do fly ins because it just wasn't a, a profitable enough thing for like, like, like someone from like Alabama or approach from Alabama or something to fly you in. Where mm-hmm. now, with everything going on, I, I feel like indie wrestling is more profitable for promoters so there is more work around like they can do fly-ins they can consistently run shows and now you're starting to get indie promotions that stay around for a lot longer because before there was a lot of like one and done's or they'd be around for a year and then they were gone but you very rarely get like mcw maryland championship wrestling mm-hmm. like they've been around 20 years or something like that And uh, that's just amazing because they were from a time where just most indie wrestling promotions did not survive. So and like same thing with PWG, like most of those California promotions that are around the same time when they began are just completely gone. So now the indie wrestling promotions are much more stable. And I think it's slowly starting to bring back territories in a way, not the same way as before where like, you know what I mean? Every territory is mega profitable or whatever. So I still think you're gonna have like your big promotions, your AEW impact, and uh uh WBE and everything. But now it feels like you can actually uh like for top-level guys, you could just get by on the indie circuit and that there there's just like this strong like the, like the territories are are back for the Indies. Like they're not as strong as maybe they used to be, but that in, in a very real way that we've returned to that day and age where like you do have guys that are from different areas that, you know, you know they consistently run, they're consistently part of a promotion and those promotions aren't just doing one and done. So they're doing long-term angles. They got their streaming service down. So you can go and you can find them on, you know, IWTV or whatever it is. So, it just feels like uh, everything about indie wrestling more so than any other part of wrestling has really strengthened.
0: You know, um, we're going to get you out of here in a couple minutes, but uh, we actually have to get back to option E. If you remember from before in our conversation, okay, you didn't get yeah. a chance to finish off option E. So <laughs> oh we God. have we, we 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 stopped with Eric Bischoff. I think we were up to Russo, then Hogan, then Dixie.
2: I never saw. So I never really worked for him. Uh, but uh, from from what I know of his style, it really worked well, like in the Attitude Era. But I don't feel like he's ever had near the success after. So I mean, I totally would work for him. But I don't know how much confidence I would have in his style of booking working, and especially this day and age. Like, I just don't think you could do the Attitude Era again like he it was. And then option E was. Uh, Uh, like i said i hey hey, calm down calm down youngins uh i gotta take the dogs out um but option i worked for tna when option e was in effect and it was not oh oh wait wait option d would be just work for dixie carter i really like dixie carter and everything but again i was i was always doing like double shots and stuff for tna at that time total nonstop action wasn't impact yet uh Uh And like, I just got along with her, she didn't see bad or anything. And like, so yeah, you know, I, I got nothing to say either way about Dixie Carter. I just, yeah. I went for you like, see my like good boss. But then option E was, uh, the, like I said, that was the lowest locker room morale I've ever seen in my life. Like, it was. Like no one felt they could go anywhere. No one felt they could rise. No matter how hard they tried, they were just going to be where they were. So like uh, option E definitely created a lot of problems because it just felt like all of like the money and the TV time. Or that time, they would call they would call like real estate TV, real estate. Mm-hmm. Like uh, the, the amount of time you had to actually be on TV that it all got sucked up by like, you know, like the Hogan's Bischoff's and stuff that it really created a low locker morale. So out of all those options, I definitely would not want to consistently work in option E just because the two or three shows I did for TNA while option E was in effect were like, for me, they were fine. Cause I wasn't a permanent fixture there, but for everyone else, like I don't want to name names, but there was a lot of guys that later on went to blow up, but uh, it, it, they were like, beyond miserable like you know, I, I think if they had to spend another year there they probably would retire from wrestling altogether
0: wow no so and and the last thing i want to mention about option e now because i i've heard a number of wrestling journalists say this and i've read this a bunch uh, so you can tell me if you think this is true or not option e is the reason why aj styles jumped to wwe <sighs>
2: I have no clue on that. I'm just not in the inner workings. But like I said, from what I saw, I could definitely like if I if I was a betting man, I would bet that, that was the reason. Just because, imagine you're like Mister TNA or Total Nonstop or whatever at that time. It wasn't Impact yet. Yeah, it was TNA, and then like you just get booted aside for this, uh, you know, all, all these. Like, they're technically new guys, but at the same time, they're old-timers, and you're just being ignored. And, like, I could see option E being the reason that he left. Like, I I would even bet on it, but I couldn't say for sure because, like I said, like, A, I'm not ever up on wrestling gossip that much. And B, Mm -hmm. even if I'm in the promotion, and B, I wasn't, like, actually there for longer than a couple weeks to know. But just from how things were, I would take a guess that, yeah, that's why
1: going to wrap it up here with this uh jack and as you're coming into your uh talk about your next upcoming match, any bookings you have coming up down the road and uh where can we find you so people can get to know
2: who jack evans is um i'm on instagram as cool ass jack <laughs> nice the name fits too well then you can uh also find me on twitter jack evans 711 And all of my next bookings, like uh, this Friday, I'll be a big Lucha in Mexico City and stuff. But all my next bookings are in Mexico City. So unless you're in Mexico. uh,
0: We do have a couple of listeners in Mexico, Mexico
2: City. So let them know. Okay. Yeah. Well, November 11th, uh, I'll be in Big Lucha in East Apalapa. I can't remember the name of the arena. Oh, Banditos Gym. Uh, That's this Friday. Then on the twenty fifth, I believe I will be in—is it Guadalajara?
1: Guadalajara. Uh,
2: I didn't check my schedule. I don't know my own bookings. But December third, I will be in Los Angeles for Kid Bandit's promotion. And if you're in that area, I have recommend- to
0: Kid Bandit. By the way, she is awesome as hell.
2: Oh, just amazing, man. The match we had has to get released. It was real life Tekken. Like there's been some highlights released on the oh. internet or on Twitter or whatever. But I, I was really oh. happy with that match. It was it was legit real life Tekken. And uh, but yeah, especially for only a little bit over a year in the business. And she uh, not only the like, uh, sorry I had hair in my mouth. Not only the wrestling side of things. She was writing. She was doing uh uh. What is it like kind of agent work and everything? So just an absolute workhorse. And like I said, only a little bit over a year in the business. So big things is what I expect from Chad bandit. Definitely. Definitely. We'll just, you know, the hardest worker I've seen almost. Hmm.
0: Well, um, that's going to wrap this up, Mr. Jack Evans. I really want to thank you for taking the time to come on the show and to explain a lot of the stuff, I mean, you have given, I think, our listeners so many things to uh, digest about the business. They're going to be listening back and forth to try to, uh, you know, pick up every last thing you said. So I want to thank you so much for being so generous with your time and to uh, let us know all those. Uh,
2: no problem. All those I things.
0: You appreciate it.
2: I think you all got me even more heat with Eric Bischoff.
0: Well, <laughs> you know. If Eric Bischoff wants to smoke, he could come talk to me. But, uh, you know,
2: I don't think he would. No, I think that hot box was his limit. I think that was his limit. Yeah, you
0: know what? We'll we'll, we'll just invite him to the next one we got, okay?
2: Yeah. There we go. There we go. Thank you so
1: much, Jack. Greatly, greatly appreciate it. All right. Thank you all. All right. That
0: That was was Mr. Jack Evans. He is a 20-year veteran in the business, AEW, TNA, Catalyst, all your favorite wrestling promotions. That's who this guy has been with. That's who he has worked for. We want to thank him for coming on. You can listen to Downtown Sports on how many platforms, Beast?
1: 22 different platforms. We are on Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Bullhorn, PodBay, Listen Notes, Podcast Addict, Verbal castro.fm stitcher amazon music audible podvine Podyssey, odyssey and iHeart radio episodes Rant's digital market battle specials just like this one every week we are downtown sports and we are where sports come home Once
0: again, thanks to Jack Evans. Thanks to Matt Ryan and Brendan from Catalyst Wrestling for helping us put this whole shindig together. Shouts to them. You definitely want to check them out next year. They're going to have their next show details coming up. You want to watch Catalyst Wrestling on TV. You're going to hear commercials uh, about us. Downtown Sports will be there um, very soon. Our five series of matches is going to get complete once Matt Markowski comes back. And in fact, I'm hearing what I'm hearing. It might not just be a freestyle title match. I'll let you think about that. I'll let you all think about that one. When Markowski comes back to fight Devontae for that last match. But until all of that, I want to thank our producer, Chris want to thank our researcher, Tony Mainville beast i want to thank you for taking the time to uh come on this show with me today as well for all of you guys it's mouth we're out thanks for listening
1: goodbye